Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying, the most must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I am your host, Damian Ellinghouse, and accompanied as always by good friend and lover of Thick, toxic fumes, Ryan Doyle. I'm back and better than ever. What's going on, man? Not too much. We are back in the saddle. It's nice to be stuck in the middle with you again. Uh, it's been a little <laughs> bit of a self-imposed hiatus is too strong a word. But a little bit of, of exile. Exile is a much weaker word than hiatus. A uh, little bit of a, of a, of a break seize for us, right? We had some stuff going on. Dear Ryan had to leave. He had to leave us. He had to leave this plane. Leaving. All right, it's not singing. Uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of taking my first vacation since Jesus. I don't know. Thanksgiving of last year. And and where did you have the pleasure of going to? Good old California. Yes. Uh, had the pleasure of finally going. Never been there in my life. Uh, hung out in beautiful San Diego. And then I went up to see my lovely girlfriend. And uh, we spent the weekend in Sacramento and then spent a couple of days in Chico. Party capital well chico state is the party college in america so i hear so the youngins tell me but uh cool city um would have loved to check out sierra nevada and chico but it was closed uh for labor day when i was there uh because we all need a day off but uh <clears throat> got to drink a lot of good beer out there which we'll get to in a moment but uh it was good to finally get away and just relax and uh yeah, what were you up to on the light hiatus? Well, uh, by the way, do we think it's a coincidence or not that uh, the minute you showed up is the minute that uh, the state caught fire? Do we think that's a coincidence? What, to California? Yes. No, I, I, I actually, it was not my fault. Are you sure? wasn't my fault. Are you sure? Are you sure you didn't? I was not. I was not the Snitsky in this equation. No, actually, it happened a little bit before I got there. They had a massive lightning storm. Um, like at the beginning of, like a little bit in like the mid of August. And that's really what's fucking it up. Usually a lot of these fires are started by stupid idiots throwing their cigarettes in the, uh, in the brush. But Not this one. Yeah, not this one, man. It's all God's fault. Well, wasn't it also a gender reveal? Isn't that also what did it? Yes, yeah, exactly. that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> so it was God and Christ. also white people, as per usual. Can we stop that shit, man? Seriously. The internet is correct. Listen to you, the memes. Like, Listen to the memes. No more gender reveals. Genders are canceled. Cares. Genders are canceled. Who cares about your baby that much? They're definitely not going to care about a party to determine yeah, like whether or not it's going to be, you know, at most 10 people give a shit if you have a kid. And I certainly don't give a shit whether or not it has a dick. Also, uh, like, you know, we were really surprised. Yeah. Also. Gender, the social construct. So while you were gone, <laughs> I was 
busy, hard at work. I was a man at work doing some some stuff. I'd like to pretend that it was top secret. Secret project. Uh, yes, but also I've I've mentioned it before. We were finishing up an EP. Uh and it just might be done. It just might be. It might not be, but it just might be. We oui. Yes, I will give no details other than that, but suffice 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 it to say uh it was a lot of it was a labor of love, but it was labor nonetheless. Uh and what else? I went to Philadelphia, floated down the Delaware River. That was nice. I was in a tube. They up, nice, they upgraded our tube for free, so we had a backrest. That was very cute. Uh, dragged a big old gallon of well, we wanted to get White Claw, but they didn't have White Claw, so instead we got Bud Light Seltzer, uh, which was awful. It was strawberry, and it was awful. But we we dragged it behind us in the water because it chilled it. Uh, got to swim in it a little bit. Cool. Uh, and also somebody pulled a Randy Rhodes and buzzed the fucking river like in this Jesus tiny plane. I swear it couldn't have been more than like 15, 20 feet above us. It was like it, it, it was like being in a war movie, you know, like if you were in a World War Two movie and then like you saw like Japanese bombers coming at you and it was just like, wait, what is that? Oh, my God. Oh, no. And except this was real life and we were on the Delaware River. Uh, so that was that was cute. That was a cute thing that happened. Um, you know, the shitty beers that do their own seltzer now, I know this is going to sound crazy, but Natty Light, not that bad. Yeah, it's not. It's not that bad. I, I w- At least they were the first to, like, do that. Yeah. Like, I, oh, we can, use, we can use our excess water and make seltzer out of it. I think that's true. Yeah, I think Great South Bay does them, too, right? They do, like, the LITs, I think they're called. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people do. Like, you're not. Like, that's, like, 30% of the market right now. Yeah. Uh. So, other than that, just uh, been watching a whole lot of wrestling. And a whole lot of wrestling is what we are here to talk about today. But before we get into that, Ryan, you have fun beer. I believe I have fun beer. What's your fun beer? I did. the. Uh, I guess it was my fault. I put beer in my suitcase. And when I got to Sacramento, it exploded. That, that's about right. That's probably my fault, right? Yeah. I can't blame the good people at no. the Sacramento Airport. No, you you can't. Fuck me. Anyway, I was managed. Actually, I had two. Um, one of them was um, Modern Times, who was based out of San Diego, and they were really good, man. I had this one beer that was a IPA, but it was like, it, like you know me, I I like my crystal clear uh, taste in beer. And they really hit it home. It was almost like drinking, like, like almost like a black tea. But uh, I grabbed the coolest thing off the shelf, and what I grabbed was uh, this Browery West Dig My Earth Hazy Double IPA. Okay. Well, that sounds nice. A solid brew. A solid brew. And what I have is Gina got me a couple of fun, fancy fall boys because. The weather, it is a changing. And so what we have here by Wow, I, I didn't actually look at what the brewery is called and I hate it. Uh this is this is made by Licking Hole Creek Craft Brewery. 
Yeah, that's the yep. This is a French toast brown ale, so it's that's nice and cute. Uh it's a French toast brown ale. It's an American brown ale conditioned on fresh vanilla and cinnamon with noticeable maple syrup flavor. They say it is nuanced and delectably quaffable, and I'll be wondering why they didn't make this sooner. <laughs> I like the uh, I, King Diamond logo <laughs> thing on there. I I hope you I hope I hope it's worth it. Licking hole. All right. Make us proud, looking whole. Make us proud. We we crack. One sip. Excellent. Your thoughts. So, I, do you remember uh, Sunny Delight, the California one? It was like the orange Sunny Delight. Yes. Vaguely. That's kind of like what it, what this beer reminded me as. It's not as sweet as that was, but it kind of has like that juicy, like orange citrusy thing going on. Not like directly orange. Definitely has some like uh, almost banana strawberry going on. It's really good. I really, I wonder why they didn't make this sooner. It really is nuanced and delectably quaffable. Um, you would think that a French toast brown ale would be like unwieldy sweet, uh, but this really isn't. It's brewed like an ale. Is that brewed like a porter? Yeah, for sure. But you know what? I will say this. I don't really taste much French toast. Um, Is it just more of the cinnamon quality as opposed to the sweetness of French toast? Yeah, it's kind of just like a... It's it's just like a brown ale that's just maybe a little sweeter than normal on nice. like the, the... Oh, it's a brown ale? Ooh, it's love, a brown ale, yeah. So love it's, my it's browns. Like, love my browns. I really do love a good brown ale. It's just like a little more uh, sweet on the... Nose, mouth. I forgot what the first part of the tip of the is. tongue. <laughs> but it's not like uh, it's not like too sweet. No, no, no. It's not like I'm one not of those ridiculous sweet. imperials where you're like, oh god, yeah. Where it's like fucking drinking syrup. Okay. Uh, and if I crush this, I also have a victory no-brainer IPA. Hey, look at that! Look at that! Look what I got. Okay, so wrestling. There's been a lot of it. Our last episode was at we the... We took a break at the right time, right? <laughs> we did. Uh, the end of August, I believe, was our last episode, the 28th or so. And so, um, since then, right, the biggest thing that happened was All Out. Um, right? All Out was the biggest thing. SummerSlam had already happened. I say so, yeah. We discussed SummerSlam, so All Out yeah. was the big event. So All Out was the big event. Um. Well, there was there was uh, there was payback. I guess there was there was payback. Uh, so all out, we're not gonna spend like a whole review. Um, the things, yeah, we don't need to be another podcast beating this to death. But obviously, uh, we can't not talk about how fucking stupid Matt Hardy is. I'll say it. I'll say it. I don't need to give him an outpouring of love. He's a fucking idiot. Why? What, and you know what, though? I'm not going to blame Matt for being a wrestler. I'm going to blame Tony Khan for not having the balls to just shut his fucking match down. Do you think they really shot themselves in the foot with that stipulation? What? That that he would have left AEW if he lost, which I thought was stupid to begin with. I always hate shit like that because it's kind of like how Cody can never fi- like fight for the AEW I know, championship. You know that's going to happen. And you know it's probably going to be because he turns heel and he's like, well... I don't have to do that anymore. It's not contractual. Um, yeah. yeah, because, you know, on the one hand, 
you like to see Matt Hardy win. On the other hand, does he need to go over Sammy? I don't know. Uh, I, but it doesn't really matter because they threw up an X. It was a it was a no contest. There's no reason they couldn't have done another match. And uh, the internet has been a flutter with a bunch of hot takes. This is several weeks old at this point, right? So I, I'm not gonna make a huge stink of it. But I just I really it took me out of what I thought was a very good pay per view. Uh, I thought that it was like such fucking old stupid wrestler shit. Just like no, come on, I'm fine. Let me like he he should have. The minute it happened, I was like, oh, that's real. And I think Aubrey might have even thrown up an X like the minute she checked on him. And I was like, oh, fuck, is that like an X? And then she threw it up again. Like, it was very clearly not Matt Hardy doing an incredible sell job. And they had no business restarting it. They had no business letting him anywhere near a ring. And then we did another high spot where he climbed something afterwards. Like, you, you. I I don't have a problem with wrestlers taking it to their own discretion. Obviously, they're not sure. in the particular state to be making that judgment call. Um, yeah, AEW should have just been like, hey, it happened, like, you know, we had to end the match. They could even turned into, like, a cool angle where, like, Matt Hardy developed, like, a new character. Yeah, he could have fucking done a bunch of shit with it. Like, yeah. he couldn't move. He couldn't walk afterwards. Who's gonna be like, oh, it's so stupid you didn't let them finish? Like, I know. That really does feel like some stupid fucking carny WCW shit where like the boys just run it and like you gotta you have to be the boss there and right. not let him finish out the match. There's just no other excuse for it. I'm glad he's fine. I'm glad he's okay. But in that moment, Aubrey made the exact right call. Kudos to her. She was incredibly was quick to react out. to he wasn't that. Even responding. It was so it was so quick. She she had no hesitation to do it. She and I think it sucks that you put her back in a position where she has to referee that match. Plus, um, it's not like Matt is a young guy. He's forty five. So I mean, yeah, shit. Dude. Uh, so that aside, overall, I thought it was a it was a good pay per view. You know, you got the Bucks, uh, being heels again, or you know, moving in that direction uh, after kicking out Hangman and. Uh, the Hangman Kenny FTR match, you know, it did suck that the the crowd was definitely they were definitely dead. Uh, you know, humidity was crazy and it was like a hundred degrees out. But I thought that match was incredible. I thought the psychology in the ring was incredible. And I just said this to Ryan the other day, but I believe that Hangman might have the best character in wrestling right now. Might have the best character arc. And overall, I mean, he really might be my favorite wrestler right now because I think. It's hard to find someone with that combination of an arc happening at the right moment, only getting better in the ring. His promos are incredible. His character work is so strong. Um, that line where he's sitting down with Tony after they lose and he's just talking about how he's like, I know I'm meat and flesh and blood like everybody else, but from head to toe, I just feel like dripped in poison. And he's just like on the verge of tears about how he fucked up. Like it's, it, it's, it's incredible. I, they're doing such a good job with this storyline. Not only that, with him personally, like he hasn't been anywhere else in his career. I mean, not to the national level that he is now. So we're really seeing the beginning of his journey. So I think that's why yeah. we are relating it to it so much more. Um, you know, it's not a rehash of an old storyline that he did in Ring of Honor or New Japan. Like this is a, it's a fresh take, and it's important for AEW too. Um, you know, it's like they almost have, like, you know, their own Sting line story going on or something like that. You know what I mean? 
So it's Absolutely. it's good. I, I really I really appreciate him. I'm with you on he's my favorite current uh, AEW wrestler right now. Absolutely, <laughs> and, 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 and in wrestling a ball. So and it and it and I say that like I'm not just comparing that to WWE. Like we all know the fucking mark I am for New Japan, but honestly, Naito's arc, his big legendary arc, is over, right? And I I don't think there's any character whose story is more interesting to me right now because I really don't know what way it's going to go. Is he going to go heel? Is he going to remain a face? Is he going to be a jobber for a while? I mean, it's I really have no idea what they're going to do with him. They could skyrocket him to the main event. They could drop him down on dark. I mean, I have no idea who's going to turn on who, what Kenny's going to do. And kudos to Kenny, who's been incredible throughout the entire storyline, as have the Bucks. Um Matt has really done a good job of being like unhinged towards Hangman sometimes and just like unflinching and the promo when it kicked him out was great. But uh, Kenny playing it the way he did at the end of that match where instead of hitting him, he doesn't even he just lets him fall to the ground as Hangman's reaching out, just stares at him in disgust and leaves and is just telling the Bucks like time for a clean slate time to go back to the way things were like it. It was so impactful because you just you wanted him to hit him. You're like, please, just just beat the shit out of Hangman, go full cleaner, and instead you get this thing where it's like he doesn't even think that Hangman is worth doing yeah, that. He's it's just like, like so no. insulting. <laughs> and the pro and the promo after on Dynamite where he's like, you know, I thought I came in, I thought I was supposed to be the ace, and then I thought, you know what, maybe I'm destined to do tag team wrestling, and then I learned things about Hangman that I didn't like, and uh, you know what, he better make other plans because I got my own dreams. It's just. Hangman has no one and Kenny Kenny has done a really great job of I don't I know he's probably going to turn heel but I do not know in what way and I don't know how and I am here for that. Yeah. You know, I have my qualms with the elite but they are very good at taking uh meta storylines and really applying it to what they're currently doing. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, they could definitely use an injection of like new material and new storyline. So this is a very, very good start to it. Um, I'm mm -hmm. very excited to see what happens. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I said, match was great. FTR were, and you know, we all knew that they were going to win, but, uh, they are without a doubt, arguably the most decorated tag team of the modern era. You know, they're NXT champions, raw SmackDown, uh, and now AEW. Um, so hats off to them and it was a great match and I'm looking forward to seeing where all of this ties in. And, uh, you know, Moxley MJF was great. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have more than one match. I hope so anyway. And MJF is a fucking draw, baby. That dude killed the main event. Uh, he was incredible. The match was great. It was brutal. It was bloody. Uh, you know, it was good. It was good overall. And I, I you know, it's another storyline where I really didn't know what was going to happen. I think Mox deserves to still be champ, but I was like, shit, man, you could put it on MJF right now and have that make sense. Why not? Yeah. I think it only, it only lends to MJF's storyline now that he's just going to go not more psychotic, but like his drive to like be even better is going to be greater now. And, uh, I'm sure he's in line for a big win. Soon. And Wardlow has really been very good throughout all of this shit and like I'm really excited for Wardlow to get a singles push yeah you know when he first started out I was like oh it's just gonna be like another like I don't know if you remember from back in the day with Christian he had like Tyson Tomko 
or you know any any general like big man yeah he's a big type, boy uh he really came into his own and he's going to have a good singles career moving forward i wouldn't Absolutely. split him just yet but i mean like at least he got past that stereotype of the big man and it's going to be worth it. You know, it's going to be very satisfying to watch him eventually turn on NJF. And he works as a heel or a face. He's very likable. You know, shit he does on on Dark and uh, not on Dark, on uh, Being the Elite. has been very mm-hmm. good. So, yeah, overall, good pay-per-view. I like what AEW's uh, doing right now. You know, carny antics aside. Uh, should, we, WWE, uh, should we discuss the Matt Sidell spot? It goes back to, like what we were saying earlier with Matt Hardy, like they, that was a bad spot and they fixed it within a couple of days by just incorporating it into, uh, being the elite that Michael Nakazawa <laughs> put, which is goofy <laughs> as fuck. But I mean, like it could be worse because yeah, but why not? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it was one of the worst botches I've ever seen. And his whole, I mean, you get the big ass flashing, like, SSP best in the world. Yeah. And then he like f- immediately tries it and fucks up. Like, I feel like the best route to go with it is Michael Nakazawa baby oil, the fucking turn. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. That's falling right on your feet, man. Uh, no pun it, intended. It, I mean, yeah, not, not for him. Cause that wasn't Shockmaster level, but that was pretty fucking good. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was definitely something. So yeah. And WWE has honestly been pretty interesting. Roman Reigns is a heel. Roman Reigns is a heel with Paul Heyman as Universal Champion, and boy, I tell you, I've been here for it. I've been waiting for years, and as long as he doesn't, as long as they don't force the wreck everything, wreck everyone and leave shtick where it's just like that's all he says, like where they make like a suplex city thing, mm-hmm. as long as they let Roman be Roman, just shit heel Roman with Paul, then I really look forward to what's going to happen. They got to get him a suit. Oh yeah, he's he needs to fill out a suit. And I, and I love that uh, Jay is going to be his first opponent. I, I love that, honestly. I do it's too, good stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you watch SmackDown, but uh, Jay brought up the fact that uh, you know he brought up the story, like the stories of how Paul Heyman like trained Rikishi back in the day, and he also trained uh, Roman's father as well, Sika. So, uh-huh. I mean, I, Paul Heyman has a very colorful and historic run in, in wrestling. But, I mean, like, just the, just the little things of tying shit in like that. It's really good. And, mm-hmm. honestly, no, no bullshit, man. I'm more engaged with WWE right now than I have been in a while. So, I mean, that could change yeah. in any moment. But uh, <laughs> it's really good to see. So, I think they're, they're on a good run right now. AEW is on a good run right now. And, yeah, I'm very excited for the North American scene. It's good for business. It really is. It's good for business. And um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm still not like really watching because I just I really don't have the time. But from what I see, I like, you know, uh, Hurt Business is a faction that I didn't they really love at really first because good on Raw. Well, you know, it, it really did feel like a, a like we're just going to shoehorn all of the black guys together. But yeah. uh, you know yeah. what? That's not what the faction is. There, I was because that's what I, I was like. They're gonna put them all together, and then it's gonna be WWE ham-fistedly talking about like racism. But it's not that. It's yeah. it's, and I I love that we've got guys like Cedric and Ricochet back doing things on the mid card. I love that where Bobby Lashley looks like the guy that I always envisioned Bobby Lashley should be in WWE right now. I mean, he's jacked to all hell. The long pants is a great look for him. He's got 
singles gold. He looks strong. And the faction is really, really, you know, the angle with them offering to do security and then coming at retribution the way they did, just looking like a couple of fucking badasses. I mean, it's it's working. It's hitting. Dude, shout out to MVP too, man. I mean, not yeah. for nothing. When he first came back, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I guess he's just going to yeah. do some backstage. <laughs> I really didn't give a shit. I was like, oh. No, he's okay. really playing Whatever. cool, man. And, you know, they're trying to, they're kind of taking like a mafioso style where like, mm-hmm. you know, they'll do some bad shit, but they'll also protect uh, their house if they have to, which is why they yeah. ran after Retribution on a Monday night. And, you know, when it comes down to it all, you know, I don't, they're not going to really touch upon the race, race stuff, nor, nor should they, but, you know, it's a good utilization of mid-card guys that aren't wasting away doing stupid squash matches or getting squashed every week. Especially with Sheldon Benjamin, man. I mean, this guy should be fucking way higher. Absolutely. Uh, on the pantheon of WWE that he is. So mm-hmm. it's just really good to see. Like, stables are good. Do more stables. Sta- stables are good. It, it, absolutely. Like, WWE has shied away from them for too long. Stables are good. Stables work. Factions work. I'm glad to see it. Uh, I feel like we're really kind of getting to the end of Retribution Mystery Angle. I really think we need to, like, I know they're building up to the reveal, but I kind of feel like it needs to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, and we finally have Bailey versus Sasha. You know, that's a thing that finally happened, and the attack was fucking brutal. Uh, it sucks that there's no audience for it right now, but whenever that match happens, it is going to be incredible. And yeah, WWE's got some good stuff happening. Um, yeah, real quick, just another thing too. I mean, we were talking about Hangman. Uh, I guess the WWE iteration of that is Sasha and Bailey, And, you know, WWE mm-hmm. gets a lot of flack for not continuing their storylines or just forgetting about things. Like, this has been a well sought out uh, storyline for the last, jeez, two years now. Well, I mean, I would say it goes all the way back to 2015. It in does, Brooklyn. yeah. But I mean, like their their current, like oh, their current, yeah. I mean, you're you're talking run. a two year yeah. burn of very lit of like character development, but very little uh, in the way of huge dynamics changes. But yeah. a lot, and those are two people that really understand how to build a good story because that's what they did in NXT, and they had a lot of freedom in NXT. You know, all of the subtle shit of Sasha just lusting after Bailey's belt and Bailey just becoming a delusional heel. Like there's just been a lot of subtle character work that's really worked. Uh, and Sasha is one of the best sellers in the game. And so she sold that beat down like absolute death. It made Bailey instantly more credible than she already was. So yeah, I mean, honestly, they've got some good stuff going. They're still a trash company, but I can definitely give credit where credit's due. They've got good shit happening. Uh, and you know, I haven't like followed up a ton with Impact right now. I don't, I you know, I, I don't really know what's happening. I over catch there, it so when I, I can. Do. They're doing a thing where they're playing hot potato with the uh, heavyweight championship, um, which is good because they need to establish some character work on some of their uh, current wrestlers. Uh, right now, Eric Young just won it, so I mean, good for him. Oh no, shit! Yeah, he came back and like he's already ready made for TNA. You know, he was kind of like. Sanity was good, but it was very apparent that it wasn't gonna, not going to be used on the main roster, which, you know, yeah. I mean, people have their gripes about, but at the same time, it was just like, it, there's no room. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to, like, squash every week, so I get that. Like, some yeah. things are just meant to stay within the NXT universe, and who knows, maybe down the road, they'll come back and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, so he's the current um, heavyweight championship holder, and uh, he beat RVD, I think? Who's also been like 
really good, man. I mean, really timeless. I mean, I, I wouldn't, yeah. I don't know how a run with, with him would go in WWE right now, but whoever is there right now, they're making it work. And uh, good for them. They're on Twitch. They're easy to check out. Twitch is very popular right now. I sound like an old man saying that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Twitch. Oh, I love the Twitch. It. Oh, it's so cool watching people play video games. But uh, yeah, no, it's good because like they're not going to get on a main station. So use a popular platform to your advantage. Absolutely, and I can't believe that uh, we spoke about AEW without talking about Miro showing oh, up. Of course, yes, Miro debuting in the most least intimidating shirt of all time. Yo, but can we talk about how that theme fucking slaps? It does, yeah. That no, everything else is great. Is His promo incredible. Was great. He looks great. It was just like, dude, Mickey Mouse Gucci shirt. Yes, I know. I got in a lot of fight with people about this. It's a six hundred dollar shirt. I get that. It's still goofy as fuck. Well, you know what? But I but I think that's what works about Rusev. I think that's always what's worked about Rusev is Rusev is very goofy and Rusev he's a man is, of the, he's the man of the millennials. I get that. He's very much a guy that like does he's a Kurt Angle type. Kurt he's a he's a guy that can go out wearing Mickey Mouse shit and like cracking jokes and then the next second will be throwing you around the ring and no, screaming. When you and like, you, like he that, doesn't yes, lose you intensity, right. you, you know. Right. I'm just being a stickler. No, I get it. And and especially it works because Kip Sabian is the guy that brought him out. Kip True. Sabian's out here in fucking like True. crop tops and holster tops. It's not like he was debuting in like the serious angle. Like obviously this is supposed to be just like, you know, something to acclimate him into the roster. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he's he goofy. Will, he will be doing good work in no time for sure. And and he's and even though he's aligned with Kip, he's not really at least not in that promo being a heel. You know, he's just kind of like, I'm here, I'm good, right. whatever. You I'm know, taking so. this to my advantage. Kip is giving me a spot to debut, and uh, I'm all for it, yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, New Japan, right? Uh, biggest thing that happened is Summer Struggle finally concluded on August 29th uh, in Jingo Stadium. Uh, How was that? I, I didn't get an opportunity to catch that. Oh, it was terrific. It was really terrific. Um, some huge... It, well, you know what? It was a mixed bag of a night for LIJ. Um, so Toru Yano, the fucking ace, won the KOPW oh, championship. Fuck yeah, we stand. We fucking stand. And you love to see it. You really love to see it. Uh, and it was great because he, he pinned Okada. Toriyanu pinned fucking Kazuchika Okada for a championship. It's I I I love it. I love it so much. It was great. Okada's tied up with fucking uh with Despi. Sonata's out of the ring. Yano comes up, fucking punches him in the dick, rolls him up one two three, and wins a goddamn championship. I love it. It was and it was so great because Okada just like looked at him after and was just, he couldn't even be mad. He's fucking he's Toru, you know. He's he was just like I got fucking got, and Yana's like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You I, know what? What are you gonna do? Hey, he's doing I didn't thing. see a clip of that. Like he almost shrugged his shoulders and he's like, Well, I I got beat by the man. Yeah, so what he's am I just walking do? away like motherfucker. Like I got <laughs> I got fucking yawned. Uh Suzuki beat Shingo for the never open weight in a very good match. Nice. Very brutal. I think this is this is either Suzuki's second or third reign with the never open weight. I was surprised that they took it off of Shingo and I'm sure you could argue that maybe someone like Sho deserved it more but uh, Suzuki still hasn't won the IWGP heavyweight championship 
Mm-hmm. So I will let him win any singles championship he wants. Uh, and it was fucking great. I really recommend people see it. Uh, Taji Ishimori defeated Takahashi for the junior heavyweight championship. Also very, very shocking. Uh, but I love Ishimori. So again, I'm not, I'm not really mad at it. Uh, Dangerous Techers beat the Golden Aces again for the tag team championship. And the storyline that's going on there is like Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. are just kind of like they're goading Coda. They're they're like beating the ever-loving shit out of Tana. Uh, but then they're like patting Ibushi on the back and being like, come on, like fucking ditch the old man. Like, what are you doing? Despite the fact that Taichi is like the same age. Right. <laughs> um, they're just like fucking ditch him. Fuck him. And Coda is really looking like he doesn't like Tana's his idol. Uh, and he's really looking like he doesn't really know what to do. And so far he still hasn't turned, but after that match was over, he was just like, what the fuck? And like Tana's, I wouldn't say oblivious, but he's just like, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do? And listen, man, Coda's had a rough 2020 Coda won the fucking G one and then lost against Okada for the IWGP heavyweight championship night one of wrestle kingdom 14. Then he gets embarrassed by Jay white, uh, who he had just beaten in the finals of the G one. And then he wins the tag championships, loses them to Dangerous Techers, and now he's just getting embarrassed over and over again. And he is not the one almost ever taking... I don't think... I don't know if he's taken a single pin for them. I think it's been Tana every time. Oh, it's, wow. I don't know if we're building to... Or I know what they... What the obvious thing is, is that they're, we're building towards Ibushi-goon, but I don't really know. Ooh. I don't know how it goes, uh, but... Murder Ibushi is gonna fucking show up at some point, and whoever gets the wrath of Murder Ibushi, it is not going to be good times. I think you're gonna get him turning on Tana, Tana and yeah. get them at Wrestle Kingdom. Is Tana taking like the veteran approach of it? Like, oh, it's okay, man. Whatever. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. You know? He's he's like, cause, listen. He's fucking Hiroshi Tanahashi. Right, he he's the, he's the ace. He's won again. the. He's he's got the most IWGP Heavyweight Championship reigns of anybody in the history of the fucking company. Like. What does he give a shit? He's won the tag titles with like three different teams. He's been intercontinental champion multiple times. Like Tana's done everything there is to do. And Coda has never gotten uh, past the intercontinental championship. And I don't even think his reign was particularly long with it. Uh, Coda's going to snap at some point. And I just hope that at some point we get him on singles gold. And then the biggest... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I know it sounds like a marked thing to say. Do you think Tana will ever have a big North American map somewhere before he's done? Or you think he's just going to ride out in Japan in style? No, I, I mean, I really do feel like Tano very much wants one. Uh, and that's why I think he kept talking about the opening the forbidden door when he faced Jericho, when Jericho came with the AEW championship. Mm-hmm. And this has been mentioned online that uh, Rusev also has a... Miro, sorry. Miro has a deal with AEW where he is free to work New Japan. And like a lot of people have that deal. And it could just be that, you know, it's good for business, get more exposure, but... Uh, there were some talks that like the problems between the elite and New Japan were like some of the older execs that are no longer there. Um, and so I don't know. I I think you'll see Tana in a big American match at some point, and uh, yeah, so he when they it. and when they do come back to Madison Square Garden, who the fuck knows who will show up at that? You know, right? Cool. Um, and then the the big one there was was Naito defeated Evil for the uh double championship it was a good solid match he overcame a lot of fuckery from gato and dick togo because finally 
Bushi and then Sonata came out to help him. So finally, Bullet Club did not have the numbers advantage over LIJ. They finally banded together, helped Naito win. Uh, it was a good feel-good thing. You got this great shot of Naito hitting the hitting the uh, Tranquilo pose with fucking fireworks going on in a baseball stadium in the background. It was great. And what he said moving forward is he's like, New Japan either needs to unify these belts and just make me have one big belt or he needs to let me, they need to let me do separate matches. And I'm obviously he's not going to say that without, you know, New Japan co-signing that statement. But I, I do want this to be the end of double championship. Yeah, I matches. get that. They, let, I mean, let, let the belts be different now. WWE did that after a while. They're like, okay, we can have big gold belt and heavyweight championship belt as cool as the big gold belt was. So they yeah. unified them. Um, Kind of was that with Cena? Is that when Cena had both that they unified? Yes, and they gave it back to... Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the last winner was Daniel Bryan. Oh, that's right, right at WrestleMania. And then they retired the big old belt with, with Rick, which was pretty cool. Right. Kind of a short reign for evil by New Japan standards, you know? New Japan cares less about the length of your reign and more about how many defenses you've had. Okay. Well, I know they want to. Get, they probably want to give the fans like a good moment because this is like a celebration of like return. Even though they they had it already, but like this is like a good celebration of like return to form with the crowds and everything because they do everything yeah. properly there. But that's another story. Absolutely. But, uh, so yeah, I get that. I get that aspect of it. And evil is not going anywhere, obviously. So yeah, and it's and Jay showed up. Uh, you know, Jay's back in the fold and. So, yeah, I mean, he had his one defense against Taka, and then, you know, Naito got it back, and Naito got the roll call, so it's fine. And it's, it was weird, because LIJ didn't win out that night. Anyway, Jingo was a couple of weeks ago. But now, right, we've been doing... Sho and Yo uh, had to drop the tag belts, because Yo's not going to be back for a while, so there's a tournament happening for that. But that is not what we are here to talk about. No, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to talk about something much more important than the Junior Tag Team Championships. No disrespect. Because... Clash of Champions. <laughs> Clash of Champions, yes. No, 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 no. We are here for something far more important, Ryan. September 19th in Osaka. It's G1 season, baby! Oh, fuck yeah. That is right. The greatest tournament in the professional wrestling world, Sorry Bola, run by the greatest company in professional wrestling, Sorry Everyone Else, is back in spectacular, miraculous fashion. And if that wasn't enough, we even got our Gaijin back. That's right. The G1 Climax is upon us. Dude, what a move to like... I know they moved it to the fall because of the Olympics, but that ended up working out the best because they were able beautiful. to avoid all this shit. Absolutely. Uh, now, before we get into the details of this year's G1, why don't we take a minute to talk about the details of the G1 in general? Now, G1, or as it's properly known, the Grade 1 Climax, is the annual tournament in New Japan Pro Wrestling and... Unlike the New Japan Cup, which I would say is probably the second biggest, it is a round robin consisting of two blocks in which every competitor faces each other in each block once, and the winner of each block, which is decided by, an, uh, by a point system in which a win is two points, a draw one, and a loss zero, 
goes on to face each other in a final match. And the winner is guaranteed an IWGP title shot at Wrestle Kingdom, similar to the Royal Rumble or the Casino Battle Royale. And since 2012, that guarantee has been made physical in the form of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship Certificate, uh, which in and of itself is held in a briefcase and defended in a manner similar to the Money in the Bank contract. Um, now, we did talk a little bit about this way back in the beginning of the podcast, right? So some of this may be treading over some ground we've talked about before, but you're already you know, 45 minutes into the podcast. So don't feel like you're going to leave now. So you are fucking trapped. So you're going to hear me talk We're about gonna it. We're going to tell anyway. you again, David. We're going to tell you again. I might tell you a third time. We might talk about it every week until it's over. Who fucking knows? Now, the G1 has been held annually since 1991. However, the tournament actually dates back all the way to 1974, two years after the start of New Japan, when it was originally known as the World League, which was a spinoff of Riki Dozan's JWA tournament, World Big League. This then became known as the MSG League in 1978, then became the IWGP League in 1983, and then the World Cup Tournament in 1989, with no tournament being held in 1990 and the G1 being birthed the next year. Um, and just as a quick aside, right, just in case anyone forgot, the IWGP is the International Wrestling uh, Grand Prix, I believe it's called. It's the, it's the governing board of New Japan. That's why everything says IWGP. Um, now the first winner was, well, Ryan, would you like to guess who the first winner of the first ever world league tournament was jumping Jeff Farmer. That's right. It was <laughs> buddy Rogers. Wait, uh, it, it was, it was buddy. Rogers? No, no, it wasn't buddy. No. Rogers. Of, it, it was, of, it was of course, Antonio Inoki who was then it, went did, on. Did it start out specifically for him? Well, I don't know if you would necessarily say it started for him, but it, you know, he was the star of this right. new brand new promotion. And like it was he had to put himself over. He was the guy people wanted to see. And this was made very clear by the fact that he then went on to win the tournament 10 times between <laughs> 1974 and 1988. Oh, of course he did. Uh, 1988 was the last such tournament that Inoki would participate in. With the only other winners in that period being uh, Japanese wrestling legend and former NWA and NJPW president Seiji Sakaguchi in 1976 and 77 uh and then two that you might not know andre the giant in 1982 holy shit no way yeah he was actually the first international winner and he won again in 1985 as it actually made him to this day the only repeat gaijin winner and that's fucking awesome i did not know that i didn't realize that he was still doing international stuff to that level around that time yeah and one more thing that you might not know Hulk Hogan was the other person to win in 1983, and 1983 was interesting in that he actually won the original version of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. He defeated Inoki in the final round, and then he lost it to Inoki in next year's IWGP League, who then proceeded to vacate it so he could compete in the 1986 IWGP League, and then promptly won it again before deactivating it and replacing it with the current IWGP Heavyweight Championship, which was won by him again in 1987. Boy, they really, they really like Antonio Inoki, don't they? I don't know if we discussed this before, but Hulk Hogan really took his New Japan runs very seriously. He did. Up he really, to the yes. point where he called the IWGP belt more important than... I don't think he said WWF 
explicitly, but he said more important than anything else he's ever won. Not to mention, he was no slouch in New Japan. If you go back and watch some of those matches, like he's, he switched up his entire moveset. Mm-hmm. He was doing insiguries, which is hard to believe for him. But like, like Hulk Hogan's New Japan stuff, really good. I would recommend uh, for anybody to check it out. Also, just want to interject real quick, just because we're on the subject of Inoki. Um, I watched William Regal versus, when he was Steven Regal at the time, versus Inoki in WCW. Have you seen this before? <laughs> no, I've not. It's a really good match, man. Um, I guess it was during the time when they were doing the Super Korea show, so like Inoki just happened to be on hand. Okay. Um, it was in... So this is around like 1995? Yeah, it was at Clash of Champions, nineteen ninety four. Really good match. Check it out to okay. anybody who uh, is interested. Uh, was was William back in like is was he big on like catch wrestling? Yes. When he was, I mean that's yeah. cold. I mean like you know, Regal is like the master of the English style, but like yeah, especially that, especially that. And you know, it's kind of like when they used um, Fashion Police, Prince Pretty. Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze, yes, when he faced <laughs> uh, back in Brooklyn Takeover when he faced uh, Jushin. Like, he was just a good. Like, I don't think Steven Ringle was anything high and mighty in WCW, but like, because he was such a good worker, they trusted him with Inoki, and it just really worked. Huh. Okay. That's definitely cool. I'll check that out. I'll link that up. Um, so. The G1 Climax, so named after the highest caliber of competition with thoroughbred and standardbred horses by Sakaguchi, served as a total reset of the tournament's history. Thus, Inoki's dominance and all past wins were stricken clean, and the tournament was primarily used, at least in the beginning, as a way to showcase the company's newest thoroughbreds, the three musketeers of Masahiro Chono, Keiji Muto, and Shinya Hashimoto, while also featuring stars such as Big Van Vader and Big Van Bigelow. Uh, Masahiro Chono became the first ever G1 winner, going on to win back-to-back years and three of the first five tournaments. Ultimately, he became the mega ace of the G1 with a total of five wins between 1991 and 2005. Here's a little fun fact for you, Ryan. The second G1 featured a ton of international stars, notably Rick Rude, who Chono defeated in the finals, and stunning Steve Austin. Hey, now, get out of here. Didn't I know that? Chono won the NWA title, which was vacated in 92. I don't know if maybe at that time, like, Ric Flair had vacated or if it was bouncing between one of those guys. Uh, But Chono won because, remember, NWA and New Japan and All Japan have always had very good relationships, right? So NWA champions used to go over there all the time. Still do. Um, So Chono won the NWA title in 92 uh, after winning the G1, and he faced Steve Austin for it later in the year. And, well... Wouldn't you know it, in that match, uh, Masahiro Chono suffers a horrific neck injury in a botched sit-down tombstone pile driver. Ah, yes. Uh, You know, Owen always did love Japan, didn't he? It was Uh, done by Owen? No, it was done by Chono. But if you'll remember, in 1997, it was Owen Hart that was responsible for breaking Mm -hmm. Stone Cold's neck in a botched sit-down tombstone pile driver. Also, I know, I don't know if it was because they just weren't familiar with each other, but I know Steve Austin was quite pissed off that Owen never contacted him, even though Owen always said, like, he thought it was part of the storyline. I don't know, it's weird. 
I think Owen was probably just too embarrassed to confront Steve about it because of how hot Austin was at the time, and it kind of directly affected his beginnings of his of that white hot push that he had. Yeah, ninety seven. I mean, that's you're talking maybe a year at most after Austin three sixteen. Right, right. He's just starting the McMahon feud, and he can still fucking go in that era. I think that's what it ultimately came down to. But as story goes, Austin didn't apologize to Chono. And says it was yeah. just business, you know. So, you know, that that does tie everything else together nicely. I I, I do remember discussing that now, but it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um. Yeah. It's it's really past is present. Past is present. So, as I mentioned, right, the G one has had several different variations uh, in its formative years prior to being officially renamed. Started out as a locals versus internationals tournament in seventy four. Then it was for a belt in eighty three. There was no finals match in 84. It was a single elimination without points in 85. They were like really playing around with it in those first, you know, 15 years or so. But since 1991, its format as a round-robin points-based tournament with two blocks has been solidified. Uh, Though 2000 had like a modified point system with one point being given for a win and none for draws or losses. And was also the first year that you saw the inclusion of juniors for the first time in uh, Tatsuhiro Takaiwa and Jushin Thunder Liger. This is a model that's been kept ever since and is often a highlight of the tournaments. You get to see the juniors and heavyweights go at each other. You always have a couple of surprises. Uh, Will Ospreay and Lance Archer being a notable one from last year. Um, And though no one has caught up to Chono since, multiple-time IWGP heavyweight and tag team champion uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan and, of course, the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi are both tied at three apiece, while Okada and Naito are the only multiple-time winners since Tana with Okada winning it in 2012 as the youngest ever participant at 24. Uh, Being that Andre the Giant's wins were stricken from their record, Kenny Omega became the the, uh, recognized first ever Gaijin to win when he won in 2016. Uh, He nearly repeated against Naito in 2017, which is one of the greatest matches in New Japan's history and in G1 history. I really highly recommend Really check out every match Naito and Kenny had. They've they just really have always had great chemistry together. Um they're scary matches, but all the same. Uh and of course, most recently it was Kota Ibushi who defeated Jay White last year in another classic, though he was ultimately unsuccessful in his bid to win his first ever IWGP heavyweight championship in the double gold dash. Um Ken Kota shouldn't feel too bad about that. You know, he uh, Tana is the only person to ever successfully cash in his contract since it started in 2012 when he overthrew Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom 13 to complete the elite's expulsion from New Japan. Every member lost their titles at that event. Cody lost the uh, American belt, I think, to Jews, possibly. The Bucks lost the tag t- titles, I think, back to the Tongans. Uh, but he should equally take pride that he did continue the streak of contract holders winning all of their challenge matches because that would have been real embarrassing. Um, so, you know, just a couple of little fun facts to just to give you a little bit of uh, history into why the G1 is such a big deal. It is by far probably the most prestigious tournament uh, in Japan, right, with due respect to uh, All Japan and... Uh, all the other promotions, tourney, you know, they all have big tournaments. Um, but I would say the G1 is probably the most prestigious, and it has prestige around the whole world. So, I am beyond excited 
for it to be back and to be back in the way it is. So, Ryan, do you know who is participating in this? Do you want to go through the blocks? Sure. There's an A block and B block. So in A block, we got Ibushi, Jeff Cobb, Okada, Ishii, Osprey, Takagi, Suzuki, Taichi, White, and Tacos. And now to say tacos. Yeah, to, uh, sorry, uh, Takahashi, but Yujiro. <laughs> tacos. I tacos. like that. Fuck Yujiro. Um, now, I, I need to take a second here and just point out that this is like possibly the most stacked A block I've ever seen. I mean, look at the matches you are going to get over the next month or so. In, it starts. Night one with Okada and Ibushi and Jay White and Shingo and Ishii and Suzuki. Are you fucking joking me? Like, uh, it's going to be incredible. It's uh, okay. Okay. But what's the B block? The B block is Tana, Juice, Goto, we stand for Yano, Yoshi, Naito, Sonata, Zack Sabre, Kenta, and Evo. Not as stocked as A block, but definitely respectable in its own right. Absolutely. And that's the big LIJ Bullet Club uh, block. So you're going to see a lot of that. Um, there's a couple of notable things about this year's iteration. So, first off, like we said, uh, everybody was very confident that Jay White would be the winner of this year's G1. Uh, but with everything that happened, we just assumed we weren't going to get any of the Gaijin here. So to see Juice. Kenta, Jay White, Jeff Cobb, to see all these guys in, right? Osprey too. Um, is really uh it's it's great, you know? Uh Suzuki was missed last year. It's really nice to see him back. Uh you could have left Takahashi at home, but you know what are you gonna do? And you know what's what's notable about this is you don't really have any juniors this year. No, I think in particular they wanted to make a statement with the uh, roster that they created for the tournament because like all eyes are going to be on them. And it's been yeah. a rough year, so might as well go into this with a bang. And certainly they assembled a good roster here. Uh, Jeff Cobb just signed a new deal with the company, so he's going to be there for a while. And I think that... Yes. I don't know if he's necessarily going to win G1, but he's definitely going to be uh, getting his fair share of good matches and good opportunities in the coming months ahead. Yeah, so people didn't like love him in the G1 last year, but personally I thought like his match against Mox uh was good. I think he had a solid match against Lance Archer. So I like Jeff Cobb a lot, so I'm looking forward to see him seeing him there. I think he was um, just overshadowed by the other guys that were in the tournament at the time. Yeah, you don't have Bad Luck Fale, who's usually a G1 staple, and Takahashi is kind of his replacement, right? People really hate Yuji Ro, and I get it. Like, he's not particularly interesting, but, you know, you need to have somebody doing fuck-fuck games mm-hmm. in the A block, and that will be Takahashi, right? Right, right. So, we uh, will be doing pickums. okay? So, I'm going to make a spreadsheet and put that up on the podcast. We will pin it on Twitter. We encourage whoever wants to to play along with us. Uh you know, if we get enough people playing, maybe we'll we'll make a little thing out of it. But um, G1 season is my favorite season for wrestling. You get so much good wrestling. It's incredible. 
And I mean, just looking at a couple of the nights, right? Like I said, night one, you get Okada and Ibushi and Shingo and Jay White and Ishii and Suzuki. Then the next night, the B block, you get Tanahashi and Naito. You get ZSJ and Evil. Uh, you get Goto and Kenta, right? Going back to the never open weight match when Goto took the belt back from Kenta, um, you know, sticking up for Shibata. And then it just keeps going. The next night, you have the rematch of Ibushi and Jay White. Uh, night after that, you get ZSJ and Naito. You get Okada and Jay White. I mean, we've just, from top to bottom, you get, and this is one that you're going to want to circle, September 27th in Kobe, you're going to get Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi. That is one of the greatest juniors matches you are going to see. That's one of the greatest matches you're going to see in a long time. Uh, and in the last two nights, which is always when the G1 tends to be decided, you're going to get the rematch of Shingo and Suzuki. You're going to get Ishii and Jay White. You're going to get Okada and Osprey, Chaos Mates. And then for the B block, you're going to get Sonata and Evil, finally. You're going to get Naito and Kenta again. Um, there's just Antana versus ZSJ. There is just so much good wrestling that is going to happen. So, Ryan, looking at the A block and B block, right? Have you had a chance to make any pickums yet? Or at the very least, do you have someone you like to win both blocks and the championship? Not yet. I was going to recommend maybe we just pick our dark horses at this time. Okay, that's cool with me. So why don't you go first? Who is your dark horse for the A block and B block? And who's your dark horse to win the tournament? And they don't have to be the same people. Honestly, man, I think Ishii is going to go far in this one. I know okay. the running joke is like he's not going to ever win. Actually, I saw a funny meme. It was like how Japan recognizes COVID regulations. And it's like it was a picture of uh, Ishii and then it was a measurement of six feet and then it was the, the belt next to it. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to see him go far. I still said after his match in um, Wrestle Kingdom earlier in the year, Osprey, I think that he was due and he had some things go on this year. That's not a bad guess. And, you know, just going off of those two, that last, if it were decided for the A block on that last night, that would mean either Osprey going over on Okada, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really like taking control of, or, or you know, making a damn it, a dent, making a claim to the chaos leadership role. Right. And you'd have Ishii versus Jay White, the leader of Bullet Club. Yeah. So I like both of those. And how about for the B block? B block, I got Juice, man. I think Juice is ready to make Juice. a statement. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think he's going to sneak in some good wins. Okay. I think because he's in the B block, especially that he's going to stand out in particular. Um, you know, I want to choose Sonata. It seems like they've been kind of like, will they, won't they, with him in the last mm-hmm. year? Um, I don't know if they want to get him up to Evil's level right now, but uh, at the very least, I could see them going against each other finally. And I mean that last night. If he were to advance to the finals, it would be him going over his longtime type, uh, tag team partner. So that would be definitely making for some drama. And who's one more dark horse from the B block for you? It's a good question. Um, I could see Kenta taking it, man. Not necessarily a dark horse, but I mean, like, he just stands out to me. And, you know, I don't think they're just going to end what they were doing with him at the beginning of the year. But uh, in terms of dark horses, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that would be cool. What about, uh, how do you feel about Yoshihashi? <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Yoshihashi won the B block, I, 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 
don't even want to think <laughs> what the fuck would happen to the IWC if Yoshihashi, oh who just after 12 years wins his first belt and it's the never open man six man belt and he wins the B block over know, like man. fuck oh man he over just, Naito. He kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb in that aspect, you know? <laughs> kind of like, you know, Tacos is going to fuck shit up in the A block because oh, Kato, but yeah. I would not be surprised, dude. How about you? What do you what do you got going on? Well, I can tell you I'm exclusively calling Yujiro uh tacos from now on. That's for sure happening. Uh okay, so my dark horse, right, is going to be uh the choice that I want, which is my guy Shingo. Uh Shingo is one of my favorite wrestlers in the world, and I would just love to see him uh win the A block. Win the whole fucking thing. Why not? Um, I would give another dark horse to, I'd give a dark horse to, it might sound weird to call him a dark horse, but Suzuki, uh, Suzuki, I don't actually know if he's ever even been in a G1 finals. Like I got to think he must've, but he's in his fifties. I would be really surprised to see him win a G1, but I would love to see him in the finals. You know, at the very least with Suzuki, when they finally get this American promo up and ready, I kind of hope they stick him over here. Because he has one hell of an American following. I mean, I see people talk about him more than a lot of other wrestlers currently on the roster that are younger than him. He's very well liked. Yeah. Uh, he really understands the product. Um, and he's, you know, that, yeah, for sure. For the B block, my dark horses would be. So I would think, you know, Goto could be surprising because he's another guy like Ishii that. They always put near the belt, but he never actually wins it. So that would be interesting. And I would say another, you know, one more dark horse, ZSJ. Okay. Uh, and I would love, I love ZSJ. That's another one of my favorite guys in the world. Now, who would be your dark horse contender for winning the whole thing, regardless of who you picked before? Like, who's the guy that you feel like people could be sleeping on that would make sense to win? I guess we're sleeping on Cobb, but I can't seem immediately getting something right away you know yeah he ain't he ain't winning the g1 that's definitely a long um, shot i gotta say osprey honestly if i want to pick somebody to you know, i think that's a good one surprise everybody. i think uh, that's a good one i don't remember if he's officially moved up to heavyweight mm-hmm. um because obviously a junior's never i don't even know if a junior's ever gotten to the finals so yep yeah he is a heavyweight now so yeah for sure I think people sleep on that as an option with him being a heavyweight. Now he's definitely, you know, he's got a lot of drama around him right now and whether they, whether Gato really wants to put a belt on him like that right now, I don't know, but certainly the company has been high on him for years. Uh, He's an incredibly talented wrestler and he's moved to Japan. And then if you want a ready-made storyline, like I mentioned it before, uh, Kenta, you know, just get right back to business where you left off with the wrestling. Oh, for sure. And especially, especially against if, if he holds it until Wrestle Kingdom, which I imagine he would, uh, with Naito. So there you go. He embarrassed him last year, and he's not going to be embarrassed again. But now he has mm-hmm. a legitimate uh, contendership for the belt, yeah, as opposed absolutely. to just coming in and going to sit on you. Being an asshole, yeah. What am I going to do? I sit on you. <laughs> and the G1 was Kenta's coming out party where he joined Bullet Club, where he turned on Shibata. So yeah, that is a ready-made story. So the popular can so for me, right, my dark horse to win it all 
would probably be someone either between Suzuki, uh, Shingo, Osprey, or Evil. I say Evil because he just won the New Japan Cup, and I would be pretty surprised if he like won the G1. Suzuki, like I said, he's in his 50s. I don't think he's ever won the G1 before. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I should have mentioned Suzuki because I like him so much. Um, I don't know. I feel like they would want to reserve it for... I mean, do they Do they usually... Do they generally save things like this for their younger stars? Yeah, I would... I mean, the G1 is what you use to both... You know, you make your aces look like aces, right? Aces tend to be incredibly like they be they're like untouchable in wrestle kingdoms and they tend to be very very good in g1s obviously they're the ace of the company but the g1 is really where you you show juniors that you might want to move up to heavyweight soon or you know have some great matches with the heavyweights it's where you just like how in 91 it was meant to showcase the three musketeers that's where you build up the guys that you're really trying to build your future around as they should. Um, as they should. That is, that's why you had people like Ibushi and Kenny and Naito and Okada winning, right? And Tana winning last year, obviously, I mean, he's still the ace, and there was a built-in storyline with Tanahashi's version of New Japan versus Kenny's version of New Japan, and he was the right guy to take the belt off of Kenny because, you know, Kenny embarrasses him when he first moves up to heavyweight uh, after he goes after Shinsuke before Shinsuke leaves, so... Um, but being realistic, I think Jay White has the best chance of winning. Um, Jay, Jay's heavyweight championship reign was fine. You know, he takes it off of Tana, but then he loses it to Okada and, you know, he, he wasn't the character he is now. He was close, but he wasn't quite there yet. Right. He was still the original iteration of the switchblade. He was the knife pervert. He was the guy that overthought you. He, he would outthink you all that shit. Um, but now Jay white is this monster heel. He's the leader of bullet club, whatever evil wants to say. Uh, I think Jay is the most likely person to win because if it's against Naito, they've got a long history together. And even if it's not against Naito, um, I think that Jay is going to be the top guy very, very soon. And if it's not going to be him, uh, then I feel like it would be I would be really hard pressed to say it's not going to be Okada. There's no way Okada doesn't at least tie Tanahashi and Tenzan for three wins. Mm-hmm. And look, uh, he hasn't even sniffed the IWGP Heavyweight Championship since losing it in January. He hasn't even touched it. Hasn't even been near it. So like. At some point, he's going to go back for it, and him winning the G1 is probably the way to do that. I know. It, he, he, he's still young, right? He's 31. Okay. I mean, Fucking, it, he's, he's ridiculously just, just young. where he is right now, it beckons for him to win. You know, he doesn't necessarily need to win, but like, he almost does in a sense. Like, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, he's too good right now not to be at the pinnacle of everything. Well, it goes back to what we've spoken about before, how Okada is Okada is, is like not necessarily the greatest wrestler in the world, not necessarily the greatest promo in the world, but he's so high caliber mm-hmm. in everything that he does, and he is so incredible. Like, it's not that he is incredibly technical or incredibly athletic. To be clear, he's very, very athletic uh, and perfectly competent on the technical side, but what makes him incredible is his ability to gel with just about anybody in the world right. and just create dynamic, 
incredible stories in the ring. There is quite arguably no one in the world that does in-ring psychology better than Okada and Tana. Um, and Okada's whole gimmick since coming into New, in, coming into New Japan in 2012 was, I'm, I was born to be the champion. That's what the Rainmaker is. He's a five-time champion. He's got the longest reign uh, of any champion in the world. So yeah, I mean, right now he's just kind of around being Okada and he is their ace. Make no mistake about whatever you've seen, right? They love Naito. To be clear, Naito is absolutely an ace of theirs. Uh, He's incredibly popular, but Okada is their guy. So I would say Jay White or Okada makes the most sense. Or Sonata. I could absolutely see Sonata too. Yeah, like we said, because it's like, Especially with Okada, like his look is one of the best looks of a generation. So that completely makes sense. With Sonata, it's the will they, won't they. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you have that, you can make an argument literally for like 90% of this roster right here. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the more intriguing things about this year is that you have so many potential storylines going on. It's not obvious to the watch like you know the viewer it's like you know when you're watching last year even though he made his run like you know i like you know moxley was going to be going on to greener pastures at some point you know archer was on his way here so i think like some things are a little more obvious than other things i don't think Mm -hmm. you have that here i think you could literally say like hey it's going to be this this or this yeah i think so for sure and you're going to get you know someone like yuji rose going to at least win three matches he, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a win over Okada with some sneaky shit with Gato's help. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a win over Jay just to fuck around with Jay. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, same thing with in the B block, Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi is definitely going to pin somebody like Naito or ZSJ or Evil. Like he's going to get, you know, you've got spoilers all over the place. And Gato is not predictable, right? Uh, Jay White and Okada may make the most sense, but whatever you're going to see, whatever you see, it's going to be interesting to get there. And I really, really strongly recommend anybody that listens to this podcast, right? Regardless of whether you actually like New Japan, whether you uh, are a casual, a hardcore fan, check out at least some of the G1 because you are always a lock for at least one to two match of the year contenders throughout this entire tournament. I couldn't be more excited for it. Um, I mean, look at me. I'm gushing. I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm flushing. So, as we begin to wrap up here, Ryan, do you have any final thoughts on the G1, on what's coming up, on anything you're looking forward to, not looking forward to? Uh, in terms of, like, matches that are potentially on the G1? Matches, or just in general, G1 season? Well, I mean, you're more ser- uh, a, a seasoned viewer to the product as I am, but I got no complaints, dude. I like uh, our good friend Vinny sent me the uh, picture of the A block and B block last week, and I was in California, so I didn't really have a chance to look at it. So uh, after work today, I, I took a seat down and I looked at it, and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, there's so many, this is stacked. And I don't know, I could be wrong, like, it could have been like this the last couple of years, but particularly this year, it's good that they, they're striking while the iron's not. And like I said, it was smart on them to move it back to the fall. And I think the New Japan Cup fits better this summer than G1 would, honestly. Yeah, and and it worked out because now they have fans in the crowd. Um, you know, you have a crowd 
making noise, using their weird little phone apps to make things happen, um, to like pipe in cheers and booze and clapping. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a really great time. It's a great season for wrestling. It kind of, it's, it's the, it's the culmination of everything that new Japan does. You know, if wrestle kingdom is all roads leading to wrestle kingdom, G one is putting the, the bricks down in the road, you know, everything comes to a head in the G one, all of the booking decisions start making sense. Everything starts fitting together. It sets up feuds for the long term. Um, you know, remember Suzuki's going to go into this as never open weight champion, right? Anyone who pins him is going to get a title opportunity. Same thing with Naito. Naito is going in as both intercontinental and heavyweight champion, which means anybody could pin him. Any one of those people could pin him because if you don't rise up to the level of heavyweight champion, you could certainly rise up to the level of intercontinental champion. I could absolutely see Yoshiashi pinning him. And that's what's cool about the G1. Champion's going to lose at some point. Yeah, you know Gato's going to do some fuckery in there. I wanted to mention that before. Like, it's not going to yep. be... As, this is definitely not going to be as cut and dry as we think it's going to be. No, it's absolutely not. Uh, and, like, you know what? Maybe Yoshihashi does win the G1. What the fuck do I know? <laughs> Maybe Yano. Uh, listen, give me Yano. Give me Yano. G1 champion. King of pro wrestling champion. Give me that shit. Make that man win the heavyweight championship and the intercontinental championship. Have him reclaim the six-man championship let just give all of it to yano greatest wrestler in the world uh so with all that out of the way ryan do you have a legend killer for us today i do and i just sent it to you kenta oh good man yes <laughs> all right well that was the quick, quickest solve ever yes that is kenta have you seen this picture before i was trying to think of like a good Rookie photo to find, and I, can, I guess he has he has a pretty discernible face. So. This is his rookie. This is his rookie card for Noah, right? Yes, correct. Good man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is uh. This is how you know that it's not weird that Kenta has hair like this right now. Uh, because Kenta's always kind of had like weird hair like this. Yeah. It's it, it. He really does have like a pretty distinct face, and Kenta is. I I do believe that Kenta is someone that we have not spent so much time talking about and we you know we we certainly have talked about him throughout you know coming to new japan and his time in nxt uh and we talk a lot about how his time in nxt was really marred uh by you know just really bad injuries yeah it wasn't even like being misused by wwe it was just the unfortunate timing of his injuries and i think yeah. he, he was robbed of a great north american run i think he really wanted to do it um yeah, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles now. So I think he's really wanting to make a mark on his current run right now, and he's looking to, um, you know, so many wrestlers credit him with everything. I mean, go to sleep is his move, and CM Punk made that a worldwide known finisher. So I think you know he's ready to make his mark once more and get back on top of the mountain. And all of that was to say that we talk about all of this, but Kenta is legendary. In Japan, he is a legendary Noah wrestler. Uh, he's a three-time junior heavyweight champion, three-time uh, GHC junior heavyweight tag team champion, uh, and his big rivalry was with Marufuji, who uh, they feuded on and off for the belts. They were um, they were tag champions together. Um, he he's like a Noah legend, and that's why it was such a big deal when he came to New Japan. But that's also why 
his reception in New Japan was so lukewarm because he wasn't one of our guys. He was he was somebody else's guy. We didn't build him. We don't know this guy, right? And New Japan does not have that type of an adversarial relationship with All Japan and Pro Wrestling Noah that WWE has with any of the other indies like Ring of Honor, or Impact, or anything like that. You know, it's nowhere near that adversarial. It's kind of more business-like, but nonetheless, uh, they thought that he was just boring. He was just a fucking guy that came in and was there. Um, and I'm glad that he is treated as a big deal in New Japan. I'm glad that he is next in line to take the title off of Moxley. I'm glad he's in the G1 again uh, with Bullet Club. And Bullet Club is interesting right now because Bullet Club has both has Jay, Kenta, and Evil that could all be leaders of Bullet Club. And uh, the Bullet Club Civil War with the Elite, there was stuff that worked about it. There was stuff that didn't work about it. You know, it wasn't quite the big, big thing that, you know, everybody wanted. You know, it wasn't, and it wasn't uh, NWO and Wolfpack. You know, it wasn't Hogan and Nash. You know, yeah, he, I think some things that lent to that was that obviously with what happened this year, that that storyline got disturbed. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of like it would have worked better if the Elite were still in it. You know, and like they're coming back to really claim their shit. Like this is their group. It's not their group. Um, but you know. I think that you're right on that aspect. It's just like it, people like people are more paying attention to other wrestlers rather than the Bullet Club right now. Well, and and my point being that when it happened back when the Elite was in, the Elite were very much like, oh, we're not in Bullet Club, and like the Elite were crafting their own brand. There's arguments that that's there was what a wink, garnered yeah, them. There was a wink and a nod that like you know the the fan knew what was going to happen. Yeah, like, and there was like some leave. some possible backstage heat between all of them because it's like you know. Uh, someone like Kenny, harder to make that argument for. He built his career in Japan. Mm -hmm. He spent his whole life in Japan. Uh, you know, but people like, and even the Bucks, the Bucks have been around since the first iteration of Bullet Club. You I know, get that qualm, when, though. When Finn was there. They used Bullet Club as a brand, and as soon as they were done with it, they're like, peace, we don't need it anymore. Yeah, like, the Bucks were there, yeah. the, the Bucks were there since inception. Um, Kenny showed up with AJ, but Kenny was in Japan, right? But the Bucks were never New Japan guys. They were in Bullet Club, but they were never really New Japan guys to most people. They were Ring of Honor guys. Mm -hmm. And Cody certainly was not a New no. Japan guy, no. and he was very obviously using Bullet Club as a launching pad. Kenny made sense as the leader of Bullet Club. He just aspired for different things. But now, with Kenta, with Jay, and with Evil, you've got... Two guys in Jay and Evil that New Japan built into what they are. And you have a guy in Kenta who's 39, right? He's up there, but he's not that old yet, uh, who is a pro wrestling Noah legend, who Bullet Club is the Gaijin, foreigner, different promotion uh, faction. And Kenta is arguably the most slimy out of any of them. Like, even with respect to Jay White being who Jay White is, Kenta is fucking gross in the way he acts in the ring. So I'm glad about it. And, you know, I really like Kenta's style. I'm happy to see him here. And, uh, you know, that's a very appropriate legend killer for this because last year was all about Kenta. Uh, not all about, but, you know, Kenta was a big part of it. And hopefully he'll be a big part of it this time around. Uh, so as we wrap up, wrap up. What have you been listening to recently? So you know what's funny? I was going to bring this up 
on the podcast anyway. But uh, I just found out today, or I just realized today, that uh, Friday will mark the 50th anniversary of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Okay. But what I was listening to last week on the flight home, and what I really, you know, obviously I've always had a deep appreciation for this album, but like, you know, I listened to it extensively again, was uh, Master Reality. And... Mm. Going back and forth, I was trying to decide which album I liked better. Because Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd, yeah, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> Pink Floyd Pink fans Floyd. Will, will always go back and forth about which they like better. Uh, usually, like, Animals is, like, the darling of, like, the uh, well-seasoned Pink Floyd fan. And I kind of feel like that's what Master Reality is. Obviously, Paranoid has the bigger hits. It's more well-known. But Master Reality is just, like, such a sonically well sought out album, you know, especially with like Children of the Grave and, and Into the Void. So, Children of the Grave is one yeah. of my favorite Sabbath songs of all time. Fuck Possibly yeah. my favorite. Yeah. I was so happy when I when I saw them a couple of years ago and they played that. It was like holy fucking shit. Even like After Forever. It's funny when you listen to After Forever, it's like almost like a monkey's riff, man. Like they have like that like that <laughs> late sixties vibe going on still in their sound. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, dude, such a good fucking album. So I was just going back and forth. I mean, like, what do you, what do you think? It's kind of hard to top War Pigs, Paranoid, Planet Caravan, yeah. Iron Man, and Electric Funeral as like the songs on an album. Um, so I think in terms of legacy and longevity, Paranoid is probably the superior album there, but like you said, uh, Sweet Leaf and Children of the Grave, the, Into the Void, those are some great songs on Master of Reality. Um, I wish Children of the Grave didn't have that like weird second drum track that goes all throughout it. I always felt like that ruins the whole track. And I remember, I remember Bill Ward telling some story about that, but I don't really remember like what. I just remember him being like, "Oh yeah, it was like a weird thing that I decided to do." Yeah, I think like. The, I don't necessarily the record label, but the, the record label definitely made them do some things that they wouldn't have normally done, but they thought like, you know, oh, you know, you guys have to be popular, have to do these things. Yeah, um, but I, I think overall I'd probably say I'm a bigger paranoid guy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, those all of those like early four or five Sabbath albums are all like yeah. fucking crazy. You can't go so. wrong with choosing either of them. I mean, at the very least, happy 50th birthday to one of the most legendary metal albums of all time. At the very least. Um, and, you know, it's also the 50th anniversary. I think it already passed, technically. But uh, earlier this year was the 50th anniversary of Black Sabbath, of the first album. Which is probably my favorite one because mm-hmm. yeah. that I mean, imagine 1970 and you you buy this fucking crazy looking album with like this weird witch woman and fucking weird house in the background. You're like, oh shit, Black Sabbath. I wonder what this is. But you're like, oh, maybe it'll just be like some some weird trippy shit. And you just hear, boom, boom. Boom, and you're just like, what oh, yeah. is this? I always talk about all the time how my dad 
listen to that album for the first time. And you know, my dad's not a big metalhead by any means, but like he's like, we listened to that album, and we had never heard anything like that up until that point. So I get that. I get that intrinsic value to that album and their sound. And like that's why their lore is like still established too, is because they were able to oh, pull yeah. that off. And but, and like yeah. it, not to mention the fact that that to this day is like one of the evilest riffs ever written. Like there's such a fucking cohesive sound on that whole album. Not to detract from Paranoid, yeah. but like that's probably my all time favorite. Um so for I uh not necessarily haven't been listening to this, uh, but it is the 11 year anniversary of Deflorate by Black Dahlia Murder. I saw the shirt on your chair before. And Deflorate is the album that got me into Black Dahlia Murder. It was the album when I was, you know, 16 in high school. And I was like, oh, I think I've heard this band before. Like, uh, uh, what a horrible night to have a curse. I think might have been on Rock Band or Rock Band 2 at that point. Um, that might have been a little later, but I just remember like having it on my iPod and listening in Italian class and just zoning out and being like, whoa, this shit is crazy. And like that really launched my love for that. So I just want to give a special shout out uh, to that. Um, so musically, right. I've been listening to a lot of like, I wonder how I would describe it. They're like 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 slow heavy emo. I I think I, I've I call them slowcore. I don't actually know if that's like an actual name for it, but kind of akin to like Allison Chains, but a little more rooted in shoegaze and like traditional nineties emo, like just slow, heavy, driving wall of sound uh like, shit. Like my buddy Valentine. A little later, than like me. a like an incredibly heavy My Bloody Valentine. Well, we yeah, like if My Bloody do the other day, and I've been really into them recently too. Oh, I got all the love in the world for Bob Mould and Husker do absolutely. Um, so like think Bob Mould production, but My Bloody Valentine's vibes. You know, mm -hmm. uh, specifically, I've been listening to a band called Great Death and an album New Hell. This album came out in 2019. Uh, and you can immediately tell what type of album it is because it has song titles like, do you feel nothing? And you're going to hate what you've done and let it die in circles of hell. But it's some really, really great, like, especially as the weather starts getting a little colder, it's been very good to listen to. So I'd really highly recommend everyone check out that. And, uh, you know, I'll plug, uh, unplug something a little different than what I would normally plug, but I'm going to recommend that everybody go out there and listen to the Devin Townsend podcast. Right. So I have been listening to a lot of Devin Townsend, specifically his earlier work, uh, Infinite, the earlier Strapping Young Lad shit with City, SYL, um, Ocean Machine. Uh, so Devin Townsend's podcast is literally just Devin Townsend sitting down in front of a microphone with his guitar, noodling around with some ambient spacey shit where he just goes through every album that he's ever done. Uh, but. It's an incredibly candid look into his life. I mean, more personal than I think you will get from any well-known celebrity or musician. I mean, we're talking some kind of monster level of like, whoa, like I'm really surprised you're putting this out there. You know, him talking about his mental health struggles, being diagnosed with bipolar, uh, having a narcissistic breakdown from taking too many psychedelics and wearing white tunics and telling everyone how to be better. Um, 
just like really it's so much less about what the album is and what it represented and what that point in time is and just listening to his like the way he thinks about art and the shit he makes i think if you are a creator of any kind music art podcast writer i really think everyone could stand to listen to this and get an appreciation for like this is what it sounds like like it's it's just such a good look into the creative process and he says shit that i feel but i can never put into words so i really want everyone to check that out um and Devin Townsend just one of the greatest prog Always musicians. Always the man, yeah. I mean, you should check out of all time. Uh, I got him to do a cameo for uh our buddy Kevin for his birthday. Yeah, show me that. Or, that was fucking awesome. Not man. not for his birthday, but when he graduated college, so that was cool. It's and cool he that gave he like a that. Re- he gave like a really nice like five yeah. minute cameo where he like told a story and an anecdote and like. It was so clearly just him setting up a camera and literally being like, okay, what should I say about this in this little little blurb you paid for? Uh, yeah, he didn't have to go that hard, but he did. It's also good did. to see him like, at such peace with himself at this stage of his life. Yeah, you know, he's, he's a dad, he's a husband, he makes his shit, he's, he's, he's sober, he's content. You know, he was a really chaotic guy, so I agree. Really good to see. Uh, before um, we depart, I just wanted to give a shout out to Ross Becomes. Is our buddy of the show, friend beer aficionado Anthony Capozzi. He's about to join up with a new band, Lost Becomes. Features uh. Chef Brian Sow, which many people may know from Instagram fame, cooking up good eats, and now he's about to cook up some good riffs. So I am very excited to hear that and can't wait for them to come out with some new stuff. Oh, that's our that's awesome. I didn't even know he was doing something new. That's really cool. So definitely go make sure to check that out. Um, leave this place gearing up, I think, to drop some new stuff as well soon. Oh, yeah. uh, Ed and Steve over there, we shouted him out last time, but make sure to go check them out as well. Like I said, you may or may not get some goodies from yours truly soon or later. Who knows? But um, that may or may not be cool. Um. And I think the main thing I really would like to shout out to end this, right? And I'm going to say the narcissistic thing first so I can finish with this, right? As always, you know, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, all that shit. Uh, we had over 1,200 plays. Like, we... Somebody likes us out there. <coughs> Oakland. Uh, and... We see you. We see you. But, but uh, we really love seeing people tune in every week and uh you know we we all we want to know what you think i'm not asking for fucking five star ratings that shit's weak give me a one star rating if you think but want to hear what the people think shoot us a line talk to us uh if anybody out there is a creator that loves wrestling if you're a friend of ours if you're an acquaintance of ours and you would like to come on the show, we're happy to discuss some things. Feel free to shoot us a line. If you're a creator, if you got something to promote, you love wrestling, come fucking hit us up. Uh, but we got some stuff cooking in the works. So that's the bullshit part of this. So what I would like to end this with is uh, about two weeks ago, uh, both of our dear friends, Travis Gentile, uh, my fiance's cousin, family to me, a brother to both of us, uh, recently his family put up a GoFundMe. Uh, as listeners may remember, you know, he 
had a pretty pretty rough accident back in February. Um, it's been a long road to recovery. It's going to continue to be a long road to recovery. But this GoFundMe was put up, um, and in just a couple of weeks, has gone over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. It is. Amazing Such a beautiful see. showing of an outpouring of of generosity and affection for who I truly believe is one of the greatest people I've I've met. I've said many, many times on this podcast, if it was not for Travis, I wouldn't even know Ryan, let alone be doing a podcast with him, be lucky enough to be a good friend of his. Um, Travis is as close as a brother to my fiance. He is an incredibly generous person. He's an incredible friend. And his girlfriend, Alana, is one of my oldest friends. His mom is a beautiful, beautiful, strong person. And just to see everybody support this family, this this person who deserves it so much, uh, is really, there's there's no words for how beautiful it really is. Yeah, and uh, Travis has given so much to both of us. And, you know, I understand it's a difficult time um, for people to perhaps give, but I, I really, really appreciate it if, you know, you're listening to this and uh, you haven't yet donated, if you can. Um, it, it's really going to a good cause. And, uh, you know, we loves Travis so much. and. You know, I owe everything to him. I wish I can give him everything, but um, yeah, I I I was taken back, honestly, at the outpouring of generosity I've seen so far and continue to see. So we'll link that up for sure in the description. So please, if you can, check it out. Absolutely, and if you don't, uh, if you don't ever go through the details, you can find it under Travis's journey ahead in GoFundMe. But I will link it up. I believe it's been pinned on our Twitter. Um, to anyone that has given, you're beautiful. Uh, and these are such tough times to give to anybody, let alone a stranger, perhaps. Uh, so to anyone that has given for any reason whatsoever, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank everybody. And if you can give, uh, please consider doing so. If you have given, uh, you're incredible. Just share it around. And... Uh, you know, Travis, if you tune into these ever, if you're listening, uh, we tell you all the time in person anyway, but we love you and uh, you're going to work through this and you're going to have us every step of the way. With that, we come to a conclusion. Happy G1 season, everybody. We'll put up the pickums. Let's have some fun with it. Uh, we hope everybody is staying safe out there. If you're on the West Coast, uh, I hope that You've got your air purifiers, your gas masks. I hope you're staying safe. If you're in any spot hit by COVID, I hope you're staying safe. If you're on the East Coast and, uh, you know, the world's on fire, how about yours? So, for Ryan, for myself, this has been the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been FFC.